Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. And amen. Praise God. Today, of course, is Resurrection Sunday. It's a day that we celebrate Christianity and what it's all about. For Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of our Lord. There are many that have come, many have gone, claiming certain things about their identity. But there's only one that made specific claims about who he was, who proved his resurrection from the dead. And his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. So we thank God that because of who he is and what he did, and what he said in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth, which means he eternally existed, and I was dead. He literally died in the person of our Lord. I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. And so thank God only he can say that, only he proved that, and that's why we know that Christianity is the only way, and Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. I'm going to talk to us this morning about life, death, and resurrection. A comment that was made, or a statement I should say, was declared anonymously, stating this, upon a life I did not live, Upon a death I did not die, but upon another's life and death, I stake my whole eternity. Think about that. Sometimes we forget that we are eternal spirit beings that will never cease to exist. Right now we're living in the land of the dying, and when we die we will go to the land of the living. And where we spend our eternal living is not dependent upon our behavior, but upon our belief. It's what we believe. And in actuality... And specifically, it's determined by what we believe about another man's life and another man's death, culminating in his resurrection from the dead, and his name is Jesus. Let's read that verse in Revelation 1.18. Here's what he declared on the Isle of Patmos before John. I am he that liveth, which means he eternally existed, and was dead. He literally died and became sin for us. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Never to taste death ever again. Amen. And have the keys, notice, the authority over hell and of death. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to follow someone, I'm going to follow someone with those credentials. What about you? Turn with me in the book of Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. I want to share with us this morning a message talking about coins. But first, let's read the verse. Talking about Jesus, it says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. This verse makes a clear statement why Christ died and why he was raised from the dead. In it, we can see a two-sided coin. On one side, it talks about our offense. On the other side, it talks about justification, our need for justification. Why he died on one side and why he rose again on the other side. So I want to talk about four coins that have two sides. The first one, of course, being the coin of our problem. The second one, of our provision. The third one, of our, his achievement. And the fourth one, being, of course, his justification and our response to what he did for us. 
So we're beginning with coin number one. I want to show you both sides of the coin. The problem. On one side of the coin, we have our problem, which is our sin, our offense. On the other side of the coin, we have justification, which is our need. We need justified before God. If you're out there and you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're facing an eternity in a lake of fire that will never end. But that's the problem that we all have or all had if we're in Christ now. In the book of James chapter 2 and verse 10, we have a very important scripture. It says this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You know what that means? Literally it means this. It's impossible for a person not to sin. It's impossible for a person not to offend God. Anything that we've done to violate any law of God in our lifetime is an offense. And it means we're eternally lost. So if you commit one tiny little sin, then you're guilty of it all. And think about this. This is what he calls sin. Anything that's not of faith is sin. So therefore, Romans 3.23 makes it very clear. And let's read it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So here we see we've got a two-sided coin. On this first side, we've all sinned. We've all offended God. We've all broke the laws of God. On the other side is found in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. The other side of the coin says this. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the other side of the coin says this. I can't justify myself. There is nothing I can do to be right in the sight of Almighty God. So the problem is this. On one side, I've sinned. On the other side, I can't justify myself. I cannot be justified before God. So therefore, I'm eternally lost. I can't earn justification. That brings us to the second coin, the coin of provision. On one side, we've got Christ who was delivered for our offenses. On the other side, we have him raised from the dead for our justification. So what does that mean? You can't do it. Your life, you can't live the way he wants you to live to be justified. It's impossible to earn justification. So we get our focus off of ourselves and other people. We get our focus on one person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that died for our sins. He's the one that was raised for our justification. Not for his sin, not for his justification, but ours. We know that popular verse, John 3, 16. Let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans 8, 32, we see this. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not all, with him also freely give us all things? Notice the verse makes it very clear. Provision comes from heaven. Provision comes from the Father God. It is the Father who gave his son to die, it is his Father who, by the glory of the Spirit of God, raised him from the dead. It is Jesus who laid down his life. It is Jesus who took it up again. So basically what we're saying is this. It's not our lives that we live. It's not our death that we die. It's the life that he lived. 
It's the death that he died. And because God the Father raised him from the dead, praise God, we can be justified. Now remember the verse in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verses 16 and 17. In these two verses, they make it very clear. Without a resurrection from the dead, people are still lost in their sin. So if you're out there thinking you're serving some other religious, let's say, idea, let me tell you this. Without a resurrection from the dead, no matter who you're following, it could be Moon, Krishna, Buddha, Confucius, it doesn't matter who. If there's no resurrection of that person from the dead, you're still lost in your sin. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Provision is not coming by means of man. Provision comes from God himself, who sent his son, who laid down his life, who said, greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and Jesus laid down his life for every single one of us. So the provision, and it's two-sided coin, is this. Jesus, on this side, was delivered for our offense. Jesus, on this side, was raised for our justification. And what we're celebrating right now is that we serve a risen Savior and Lord. Death, hell, and the grave could not hold him down. Yes, Friday was here. Yes, he was nailed to a cross. Yes, his body went into a grave. Yes, all the religious people were celebrating. Yes, all the demon hosts of darkness were rejoicing, having their own little trip over in Hawaii somewhere with the devil himself, thinking that they had won the victory. But you know what? That was Friday. And praise God, Sunday is here. That could not hold him down. He's been raised up from the dead for 2,000 years, and the impact of that resurrection affects human lives even today aren't you glad you've been raised out of death and placed into the life of his kingdom hallelujah because of his mighty work that brings us to number three the third coin is the coin of achievement on one side we have what is called substitution on the other side we have imputation notice in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 through 28 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God hath set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. On one side, we have substitution. What does that mean? Somebody took our place. You and I were to die for our sins. You and I were to spend eternity in the lake of fire. Why? Because of Adam's high treason from the very beginning. We had nothing to do with that. It's by one man's sin, death entered into the world, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. It's because of his act of rebellion against God that we're living in the world that's fallen today. It's because of his act of rebellion that we have all the sickness and the diseases that we face, including COVID-19. 
It doesn't matter what it is, praise God. It was from the powers of darkness and not from God. It was because of the rebellion of man and not from God. But thank God he loved us so much he didn't want to leave us in the state that we were in. In spirit and soul and body, man was separated from the living God. But praise God, because of the sacrifice of our Lord, spirit, soul, and body can be reunited with God and will be reunited with God eternally. The spirit of man must be born again and washed in the blood of the Lamb. The soul of man must be renewed to the Word of God to understand uh, the ways of God and the laws of God and the righteousness of God. The body of man is the last that's going to be reunited and on that day when Jesus comes in clouds of glory, when the graves are open, the dead in Christ rise, praise God, we're going to meet him in the sky as we're changed and glorified. The body will be in a glorified state, reunited with the spirit and soul of those that have departed. And it's going to be in a glorified state throughout eternity. And so God made provision for us. But what was that provision? He sent his son to the cross where he took our place, our substitute. That is the teaching of substitution. He paid a debt he did not owe we owed a debt we could not pay on that cross he saw you and he saw me as a matter of fact if we could even understand this what took place on that cross is probably beyond anything our minds can comprehend on that cross the bible says he became the sin not sins plural but the sin of the world sin itself he became one with sin itself so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. God laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 52, when this took place, it says his visage or appearance was so marred more than any man, he did not appear even to be human-like. When the Roman lictor who viewed many crucifixions throughout the years of his life saw what took place in the life of Jesus on that cross, he marveled at it and said, truly, this must have been the Son of God. It says he was so disfigured, he didn't appear to be a part of the human race. What was that? He became sin. The sin of anyone who ever lived, who's living right now, or who will ever live upon this planet. It was all placed on him. It was so impacting. He was so disfigured. This Roman soldier stood in awe. When he died, you talk about the ripple effect of his death. The temple veil was ripped in twain from top to bottom. The Shekinah glory left the Holy of Holies and went back up to heaven. The earth began to quake. And when it did, the tombs, the stones that were in front of the tombs were hurled away. And after the resurrection, those bodies came out from their grave and went into Jerusalem and appeared unto many. Can you imagine the scene on that resurrection morning? First of all, let's start with the graves being open. Can you imagine the scene of people that maybe went there and said, we're going to go by a certain loved one's grave or whatever, by the tomb or whatever, and all of a sudden, this huge rock is rolled away. Oh, the graves are open. And they're wondering, what is going on here? What's going to take place here? Well, on resurrection morning, when Jesus came out of the grave, he didn't come out by himself, praise God. Many that slept arose, got up, went into the city of Jerusalem. Can you imagine prophets of old? Some, some believe this. Some believe it was Adam. Some believe it was Noah. 
Abraham, Isaac, maybe Jacob, or other patriarchs of old. Some believe that it was actually people that were buried there outside of the city that were loved ones of those that were in the city. Can you imagine if it was the high priest's mother that came out of the grave and knocked on the door and says, Hey, Sonny, how you doing? Jesus is Messiah. He is the Lord of all. Can you imagine the scene that must have taken place on that resurrection morning? Not just, once again, the appearance of Jesus, but all the others that came out of the grave with him. He was our substitute. And so he took upon himself what we should have taken upon ourselves. He paid the sin debt for us as our substitute. And God raised him from the dead. And when God raised him from the dead, he made this declaration. Everyone, every creature, every being has been reconciled back to God. Even us. Even the unsaved out there right now, they are technically and legally reconciled back to God. Why? Because of Jesus he imputes righteousness to every person who will ever say yes to him. It's not automatic. A person must accept it. But as far as God is concerned, legally and technically, every person on the planet is saved in his sight. All they can do is reject salvation. And if they do, they're not going to experience it. So in this process or this act of imputation, he imparts to us or attributes to us their very righteousness of God. Look at the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. And here it is. For he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin. Sin, singular, for us. Sin itself. He became sin itself. Who knew no sin, because he was the holy, immaculate Son of God. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. You know, Isaiah talks about your righteousness, my righteousness in the flesh, before Christ, people outside of Christ, it's as filthy rags. It's like as if I was robing myself right now with a filthy rag. And if I were to go about and try to get salvation, justify myself before God and be justified through that kind of justification, my works, he says, are as filthy rags. I'm robed with it. But if I get my eyes away from the mirror, and away from myself, and I get my eyes on the Savior who was raised from the dead for me, I can look at it and say, I accept your sacrifice, you becoming my substitute. I make you my Savior. I make you my Lord. You know what he does? He removes off from me this cloak. My cloak that I was robed with as filthy rags, and he robes me with the robe of his righteousness. He clothes me with that wonderful robe. You see, it's imparted to us. He attributes it to us. We didn't earn it. That's impossible. Jesus earned it. That was possible. And then he freely gives us his righteousness if we accept him. That brings us to these important points. Without the risen Christ, all the benefits of his death would stand unappropriated forever you realize the person that will spend his or her life eternally lost doesn't have to but they will why they didn't appropriate what jesus died for them to have and so it's up to the individual secondly if he wasn't raised from the dead all that he accomplished could never get to us it could never come our way i remember growing up as a young person living my life 
as a young person, wondering about eternity. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but I did at some point. I was actually waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat saying, I don't want to go to hell. I was concerned about my eternal well-being. I may have not known a lot about it, but I know I was aware of it, that I was a lost person on my way to eternal destruction. I cry out to God and say, I don't want to go to hell. And I cried out to God to show me the way. And just the way we can all be pretty stubborn sometimes. You know, we all can be stubborn sometimes. I know I can at times. I rejected it. I thought this, these people telling me I had to be born again were some kind of Jesus freaks that were out of their minds. But you know what? God didn't give up on me. And I'm glad that he didn't give up on me. And he won't give up on you. And he won't give up on anybody else. I stayed with it. Finally, one day, I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And all that he did, I embraced. You see, what he died for is not going to be appropriated without me accepting it. God does not push himself on anybody. The dying Christ is the one who secures our justification. The risen Christ is the one who sees to it that it comes to us via the Holy Ghost. And so he kept knocking on the door of my heart, as the scripture says, knocking on the door of my heart until one day I saw it. One day my eyes were open. And one day I said, Jesus, I accept your sacrifice. Come into my heart. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord, and I will live for you. On that glorious day, I was born again. All that he died for was appropriated in my life. On the inside, I felt so clean. On the outside, it was like everything looked brand new. As the scripture says, all things are new. Old things pass away. My view of people changed. My view of creation changed. My view of church changed. My view of everything changed during that time in my life. It was a joy unspeakable and full of glory. I had a zeal of God even though I had no knowledge. I tried to tell others about what I had and what I experienced and I became very offensive to a lot of family members. I don't suggest you do what I did. I would just tell them, you know, you're lost and going to hell. That doesn't go over too well. Instead of showing them the way of God, the love of God, and so on. But you know what I learned since then? And I thank God that I did. But it's the dying Christ that secures our justification. It is the risen Christ that sees to it that we experience and get everything he provided for us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he will not give up on any sin-sick soul. The last coin is the coin of response. On one side, it's up to the person to believe. On the other side, that person must submit to the lordship and leadership of the living Christ. In your Bible there, Romans chapter 10, notice... I must believe. The word is near us. But what saith that the word is nigh thee or near you? It's in your mouth and your heart that is the word of faith that we preach. That if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, notice the resurrection here, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So one must believe in the Lordship of Jesus. One must believe in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We've got to believe he carried his blood to the high court of heaven. We've got to believe he sprinkled upon the mercy seat. We've got to believe he's obtained eternal redemption for us. We've got to believe that all of salvation and redemption did not end at the cross. 
It was not complete till he went to the high court of heaven and fulfilled the duty of the high priest and offered up his blood and obtained that eternal redemption. Hebrews 9 and verse 12. That's what he did for us. I've got to believe that. Many out there in the world today, they don't believe he is the Messiah. They don't believe he is who he said he was. When he said, I am the way, truth, and life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me, many don't believe that. They, mean, they believe there's many other ways and many other roads that will lead to God. All the other roads will lead to God's judgment, not to God's mercy. Only through Christ, because only he did what was required to satisfy the claims of justice held against mankind so that we could be free. And so there's no salvation in any other. The second part of the coin, the other side of the coin is we must submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Look in Philippians chapter 2, begin at verse 5. Let this mind be in you. In other words, this is how we ought to think. Well, how? Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross and stop right there for a moment he said you want me deny yourself take up your cross and follow me so you see it's up to us to believe in what he did and then submit to his lordship and leadership notice this Wherefore God highly exalted him and had given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things or beings in heaven, of things or beings in earth, things or beings under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ, no one else, no other name, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In these verses we have a revelation of Jesus humbling himself to become a man, being submitted to his father who suffered the death of the cross. And because of his supreme sacrifice, the father raised him from the dead and exalted him by giving him a name above every other name. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Now look, we understand that it's the cross where this happened. And I realize that in Christianity, we view the cross a certain way. People have taken the cross as a piece of jewelry, put it around their neck, and that's fine. To some, it's a religious icon that they sometimes bow to in some circles. It could be an amulet that I've seen many use the cross as an amulet. Back in the day when there was metal in a car, I, I saw individuals that would take a magnetic cross and put it on the dashboard of their car, thinking that it has some kind of supernatural power to protect them from, let's just say, an accident or something like that. But you know what? To the cross, to the Jew, it's a rock of stumbling that they trip over. To the Greek, you see, to them, it's foolishness. It's moronic foolishness. And why is that? Because how could a cross save a man's sin-sick soul? It doesn't logically add up. But to those of us who are called, oh, thank God. To us, it is the power of God. To us, it is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God means it outsmarted the devil. Because if the devil knew what the crucifixion would have meant to him, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. It's the power of God to save a sin-sex soul and deliver one in spirit and soul and body. So we appreciate the cross very much when you understand it from that perspective. But you know what? 
What about this? Jesus, when he was raised up from the dead, when he obtained eternal redemption for us, was seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He was given a name above every name and a scepter of righteousness, which is the scepter of his kingdom, because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. So thank God for the cross. But what about that scepter of righteousness that stands for the victory he secured for us? Because of his obedience to die on the cross. And you know what else? God gave him a name above every name. And there's only one name under heaven. That's it. Whereby a man must be saved. And that name we know is Jesus. And so thank God. We believe in him. And also we bow in submission to his will and leadership over our lives. Now, in the beginning we talked about our whole eternity, that we stake our whole eternity on another man's life, another man's death, and I'm adding to it another man's resurrection, another man's life. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God fell on that day, was anointed from on high. He was changed in such a way, instead of cowering in fear in an upper room somewhere hiding, he came out to the public square in the marketplace and he preached boldly a message talking about another man's life, another man's death, and another man's resurrection from the dead. As a result of his preaching, many Jews got saved. But first of all, what he preached was this. Three lines of evidence to prove to the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah that they were looking for and the Savior of the world. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, and look at verse 22. Three things. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. And what he did, his first line of evidence was his miraculous life. If we are going to basically stake our eternity on a person's life, he better be pretty special. Well, you know as well as I do, when Jesus walked upon this planet, praise God, he lived like no man ever lived before. He did what no man ever did before. From the beginning of miracles in Cana of Galilee, when he turned water into wine, and then went about all Galilee, healing all that were sick, Casting out devils, walking on water, stor stormy seas he calmed by speaking a word, cursing a fig tree, and it died. Raising up Lazarus from the dead who was decayed, his body began to decay. All the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the marvelous works that he did upon this planet that they were eyewitnesses to, they saw all that. He uses that line of evidence to say, has anybody else ever done this? One man said, has it ever been said that a man who was blind... From birth, somebody opened up his eyes that he could see. One, on one occasion, up on a mountaintop, they brought the, the lame, the blind, the halt, the maimed, those that were dumbed and dead. All these sicknesses, and it says many others, and they cast him at his feet. And they marveled when they saw the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the maimed to be made whole, body parts removed, growing before their eyes. And... As the scripture says, the world would not be able to contain the works if they were all written. Imagine that. 
So he, number one, appeals to his life. They lived on this planet when he walked on this earth. Secondly, as found in verse 23, his meaningful death, he, ta- he points out. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. One verse talks about his miraculous life. One verse talks about his meaningful death. You recall the inscription that was above him when he was on the cross? First of all, one was written in Latin. And Latin stands for the Roman law, government, and that sort of thing. So that they could see it and understand it. The second one was written in Greek, the language of culture, the language of art, the language of wisdom, sophistication. They were smart. They were intellectual people. They thought logically and so on and so forth. And that appealed to them. And the third one was written in Hebrew. Why? For the religious folk of the day. For the Sadducees and for the Pharisees and the laws of God that they could not keep. And also the burdens they put on the other people and they could not keep. Didn't understand the purpose of the law was to bring them to the, the schoolmaster was to bring them to the ultimate teacher who is Christ. Well, guess what? It was all there for them to see. And they saw it all. They read it all. He talked about he died. He did miraculous works, number one, by his miraculous life. Number two, his meaningful death. It spells it out to all people groups of the world that he's the Messiah. But then third, the last thing is his magnificent resurrection. Look at verses 24 through 32. One verse on his life. One verse on his death. But nine verses on his resurrection from the dead. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Notice the soul is in hell. The body Corruption is in the grave. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, I, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he should raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. They were eyewitnesses of the greatest event to take place in the realm of human experience. And once again, I allude back to the fact that when he was raised up from the dead, other graves already were open when he died. They too came from the dead. If that doesn't tell us that he has power over death, as he said he does, then what will? Now, nothing is said about these other people, what happened to them after that. But we know that they were raised up, went to the city, and they preached that Jesus is the Messiah. Can you imagine people rejecting that? It's hard to believe, isn't it? But today, people still do the same thing. Look at when Peter got done preaching his message about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, 3,000 Jewish people got saved. They became Messianic Jews. So, what's our concluding thought? Preach 
the gospel. What are we going through? Preach the gospel. Preach Jesus lived, died, rose again. All our hope is in him. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It'll tell us what the gospel is. Marvelous chapter. Talk about the resurrection. Read chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians today. It'll bless you beyond words. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Well, what's the gospel, Paul? I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Jesus taught him the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. It goes on to say, and he was seen of the apostles. He was seen of others. He was seen of 500 at one time. He was seen of me as one born out of due time. If you remember the conversion of Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a scribe of the scribes, you want to say, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, if you want to say. He was someone who was intelligent, sophisticated, and well known by all the people around him. And they looked to him because of his wit and because of his understanding of the Jewish law and so on. Who boasted about he kept the law flawlessly, if that's even possibility, a possibility. He was going about with such zeal so as to throw people in jail. If they even named the name of Christ. And everywhere he went, he would haul them into prison. Have them beheaded or burned at the stake or eaten by lions. Because that's what they did back then. And he's off to the road to Damascus. And he's going to go to Damascus and find women, children, men. Didn't matter who it was. He's, his purpose was to destroy Christianity at the root. Get it, nip it in the bud. So that it does not progress any further. As he's traveling on that road. This zealous individual. He was a zealot for sure. Who wanted to protect Judaism. And of course the name of his God. Something happens to him. What happens? He sees the resurrected Christ on the Damascus road. He's blinded by the light of his glory. He falls to the earth. He cries out, who art thou, Lord? And Jesus says, it's me, Jesus. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. What do you think you're doing? And do you think you'll succeed by fighting against God Almighty? This man did a 180. This man had his eyes open physically and spiritually. This man was born again. This man was spirit filled. This man who was against Christianity. Saul of Tarsus. Saul means destroyer. Paul means builder. Instead of destroying it. He set out to build it. And he wrote over half of the New Testament writings that we have. What causes a person so steeped in Judaism to transition, be born again, and now promote the very thing he fought to destroy? What was it? The resurrection from the dead. Oh, thank God for the resurrection from the dead. It's because of Jesus' miraculous life, meaningful death, and absolutely magnificent resurrection that you and I stand before God cleansed by his blood and we have a blessed hope of being changed in the twinkling of an eye when he comes again meeting our loved ones in glory and then serving him throughout eternity all the days of our lives why because we made him 
our Lord and Savior. 